podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to the 10-12, the podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference, plus BYU, Houston, Cincinnati, and UCF. We are, of course, the flagship show of the 10-12 Network and partners of Sports Drink, your source for all things sports and not sports, a fantastic podcast network in their own right. I'm your host, Philip Slavin. Thank you for joining us on this Monday as we look back at the weekend that was to recap everything that went down and some interesting Big 12 news we have to touch on. Joining me today, as he does every week, my good friend and the host of the Rock Chalk Podcast, Andy Mitz. How's it going, Philip? I, I figured that this week I was going to absorb some of that, uh, you know, Jamie Steyer, like, lack of energy at the very beginning, and I'll ramp it up slowly as we go through the podcast, so. Uh, I'm going to be honest, I'm a little bit on the struggle bus. Uh, yes, agreed. I'm just, I'm tired. I'm tired of coming on the show and saying I'm tired. Like, I'm tired of that. we got to figure out this schedule thing, because I, I don't know if recording it at 8 o'clock on Sunday night is the best thing for my, like, health and well-being, but we'll figure something out. Uh, I was Jamie say, Steyer, Sunday afternoons are great for me, so. <laughs> Man. Hey, honey, can you wrangle the three kids and keep them out? Oh, of I know. I know exactly how it is. For me? That would be great. Uh, Jamie Steyer Johnson, JSJ, is not with us today. Uh, if you, She posted on Twitter, so don't feel bad saying it. Her, uh, her cat died this weekend, and uh, it's a very emotional time for her. So she's taken the day or the night off. Uh, and we uh, we hope she can uh, hope she can get better quick, and we should see her again next week. Obviously, that also means no Cyclone Family podcast this week either, uh, which is always disappointing for the, the listeners. But they'll be back quick, her and Eric. So we're gonna do this just me and Andy. I thought I could find another co-host to fill in, and then I thought I don't have the energy to do that. So we'll just we'll just mow through this me and Andy. Uh, for all of you JSJ fans, I'm sorry. She'll be back. Uh, shoot her a, ta- a tweet. At J Styes, J S T E Y Z, or you can hit up the Cyclone Fam Pod on Twitter and, and leave her a nice message. Uh, I hope that uh, hope she's feeling better quick. All right, uh, Andy, I'm gonna I'm gonna go a little bit of a. I wrote this like Wednesday Thursday, so I'm gonna go ahead and just do this little rant, and then we'll go on with stuff. Um, I have personally at times myself voiced frustration with national media and those in it and the treatment of the Big 12. And for good reason, I do believe wholeheartedly that there are times when there are those in the national media who like to dog the Big 12, specifically because it generates engagement, right? Like There's a reason that there are villains and pro wrestlers. There are reasons that there are individuals in all forms of life who are the way they are just for the clicks. And I think the problem right now for the Big 12, one of the biggest issues is that the best way to get numbers from Big 12 fans is to talk down to them. And so we need to address that today. Fans, we need to get past the haters. We need to get past boycotting medias that talk down to us. We need to stop doing the, if you're going to just, just, we're not going to, it's mad. We're going to get mad. I get getting mad. But here's the problem. Um, I was listening to Josh Pate, host of of, uh, of Late Kick, and I used to listen to Colin Cowherd back in the day, uh, early on, back in his ESPN days. And Pate made a point, and Cowherd used to make a point, especially during the Tim Tebow being on every single ESPN show possible uh, during his uh, pro days, every single five minutes. And it's this. They are a business. They're not in the business of making you all feel good about your teams. They're in the business of generating views and listens and downloads. And so whatever is going to get the most engagement, even if that's hate engagement, even if that's fans who are tired and frustrated and irritated, why are you doing this? Why are you talking about Tebow? Why are you talking bad about the Big 12? Why are you voice showing TV numbers that are flawed and don't show us all the accuracy of it? Why are you doing all these things to us? We're going to keep, we're going to, Stuart Mandel. If that's all you're going to do, then that's what they're going to keep doing because that's what's going to generate the numbers. And if you're sitting here going, I'm not going to watch that. I'm not going to download that. I'm not going to listen to that. I'm not going to do any of that. Cool. I'm not going to talk about you because if they're not going to get any numbers when they speak positively or when they talk, period, about 
Kansas State or Oklahoma State or Iowa State or West Virginia or Cincinnati or Houston or UCF, then they're not going to talk about it. They're going to go back to their bread and butter where they get the most downloads and listens and plays and clicks and everything else from the Big Ten and the SEC because those fan bases, they do. They're big. Paint talks about it, and it's the reality. Like It's the same. We can look at the what's happening with game day. The 8 p.m. college football game on APC three weeks in a row has been Clemson. The Fox Big Noon kickoff has been Michigan four weeks in a row, and now it's Ohio State-Iowa. It is frustrating and irritating, and it's always been about the numbers, but it's becoming more and more and more and more so about the numbers, folks. And about, we put Clemson on, casuals are going to watch. We put Michigan on at 11 a.m., casuals are going to watch. And it's annoying and it's frustrating. We can't fix that part. What we can do, numbers are up for Big 12 games. Numbers are up for attendance. Numbers are up for TV, and that's great. Keep doing that. Keep listening. Keep reading. Keep engaging. And if you want to get pissed at them, fine. But the like, we're not going to, we're just not going to, we're going to ignore you. Cool. That is that is cutting off the nose to spite the face. Because if we aren't going to engage them, except get angry at them when they say crap about our teams, then the only time they're ever going to talk about us is when they know that they're getting engagement because they need it by talking crap about our teams. I, I think to that point, though, like if you're going to get upset and say that you're going to boycott, then don't follow through and hate watch. Like, like if you're going to try to make an impact in the numbers to show them that you're not going to support that sort of stuff, then actually follow through with it. But be ready to jump right back in when they actually start talking about it in a way that you think is is honest or legitimate. The problem is, it's difficult to be able to do that in such a way that is actually going to affect our numbers. So don't let it phase you. Like, make sure that you are supporting your teams, and rather than trying to boycott, you know, call out the stuff that you think is honest, legitimate analysis as great stuff. Share that stuff, because if those things start getting bigger numbers because you are driving other people to that, that's when they see, oh, wait a minute, we're getting a bigger bump than we expected. Like, the SEC loves to hate or to to listen to, you know, hosts and you know, TV shows and all of that talk bad about the Big 12 because they find it funny. They, you know, anything that we can do to, uh, to drive down numbers, the SEC and the Big 10 can double that the other direction if we can make a big enough stink about it. So it's much less about going out of your way to get upset and talk about boycotts. You know, it's much, much better to find those sources that are covering the teams in an honest, legitimate way and give them your support and drive people to those because as those numbers increase, that's when you're going to start to see from other outlets, Hey, this is actually working for them. They're getting a bunch of extra engagement. A whole bunch of this stuff is happening because, you know, you actually drive people to somewhere to get numbers to show up for them instead of just threatening to not pay attention. If you find good, good things about the big 12, and I'm not trying to like pat us, pat us on the back or anything here, but like, Listen to us, push us, retweet us. You want to know, Shahan, retweet. He, he, no one covers the Big 12 nationally, especially not for CBS, like Shahan does. So retweet his stuff, share it, read it, scroll it. Even if you're like, I don't have time to read it, but it's about the Big 12. It's about Oklahoma State or Texas Tech. And here's the other thing. As much as we hate SEC, SEC, as much as an annoying as that shit is, folks, there's a reason their numbers do so well. SEC fans watch SEC. And when you're sitting here going like, I'm not going to watch any other big two. I don't care. That's fine. But again, that comes back around. Like, I don't want us to be SEC and chanting big 12, big 12 at every game because it sounds dumb. But we can watch the other teams. We can pay attention to the other big 12 games. We can be watching them. We can be sharing stories that are positive about the conference as a whole. Okay. Those are good things to do. Positive. I know positive is hard. I know. I know anti and angry and... Screw that is easy. It's it's easy. It's, and everyone loves to hop aboard that crap. It's hard to be positive all the time. And I don't expect anybody to, but promote the positive and ignore the negative as much as you can. Because man, oh man, it does it does it does work. Because I don't want to I don't want the only reason anybody talks about the Big Twelve nationally at the athletic or anybody else, anywhere else is is negative because it's the only way they can generate numbers. Because that's what they're gonna do. That's what they're gonna do. It goes back to why did ESPN and, and every ESPN radio show talk about Tim Tebow three times an hour 
for like four years straight because people would hate listen and ir- get irritated and they would tweet and comment and write, stop talking about TiVo, then stop reacting to it. When they write negative crap, put out something positive in response. Don't just sit there and just react to their stuff negatively. Ignore Stu. Ignore anybody who does that. Just ignore them and post positively on your own. Like, you don't like what he has to say? Say something good. Like, that's how we have to generate this stuff. That's what we have to do. It's the mindset we have to adopt. And guess what? You want... I I would love the game day to go to, to the Big 12 schools more because obviously it does well at Kansas, right? I would love for, for these networks to put the Big 12 in better TV spots. We didn't have a night game last week in the Big 12 at all. This past Saturday did not have a nighttime game. It's wild. Now look, the 230 ABC game is great. Um, I think that's a good spot. I hope the Big 12 gets more of it. Uh, I would love the, for the baseball not to be going on so that the Kansas State TCU game was at 7 p.m. on Fox as opposed to FS1 because Major League Baseball playoffs are on. And look, I'm just not a baseball fan. I understand why it's on there. I understand the importance of it. Don't come at me, baseball fans. But we have to figure out how to do what we can to continue to build the Big 12 ourselves as fans. That is our responsibility. You cannot just wait on everyone else to do everything for us to make sure that our schools are getting the money we wanted to get, the recognition and the prestige. We got to do it ourselves. That's how this stuff works. Okay. We drive this stuff. We have to continue to do so. So let's move on from there or I could spend another half hour talking that about it. That being said, it is perfectly acceptable to troll University of Tennessee for trying to get their fans and, you know, students to pay for their new goalposts after they beat Alabama. No, it's perfectly acceptable to troll the OU fans who are trying to find a transitive property win because Josh Heupel just beat Alabama. Well, yes, yes, that too. Right. Because I've had I've had at least three that I've either seen or have said it to me, and I go, "You fired him. That doesn't work." It we doesn't, uh, we are all about the Schadenfreude here on this podcast, though. Mm, deep, deep, deep. Uh, how I wanted to start this show, but we're going to do it here. Is folks, we won. We won. We are winners. Our hard work, our exhaustive, irritating efforts, have worked. We have gotten what we want. Do not say that bullying and being annoying about something doesn't get you what you want. Sometimes it does. According to multiple sources, and I'm going to use the CBS article because Dennis Dodd had something unique in his that I hadn't seen in the others. Big 12 is in the process of finalizing its football schedules for the 2023 and 2024 season. We'll have a rotation for all 14 teams. No divisions folks we did it we won congratulations pat yourselves on the back high five yourselves i am i i don't i didn't tweet nearly enough about this as i should i wanted to like just jiff obnoxiously for like two hours after this came out big 12 will stick with nine game conference schedule um and for two years there will be permanent opponents set for both seasons so that key rivalries can continue to be played. Red River, Bedlam, Sunflower Showdown. Uh, it's expected that West Virginia and Cincinnati will get to play every year. So this is what we wanted. That's what we wanted. Uh, the biggest news here out of all of this, for, hold on, Andy, just first, like, can we just, I mean, we have been on this since January. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm feeling I'm feeling really good when this news came out. I was I was excited. I was very very excited. That, and now look, this isn't this isn't. We don't know what they're going to do after Oklahoma and Texas leave. And I hope that this is the continued plan: is no divisions, set some rivalry games, and then schedule through everybody, all other twelve teams. Um, keep the nine game conference schedule, no divisions, because you got to just put the first the top two teams in a conference championship game. That is the most important thing you have to do for the conference. I do believe that. I just, this is great news. I'm excited about this. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things, and, and based off of the way that I've been reading a lot of these articles, it do- definitely seems like they are leaning towards no divisions even after Oklahoma and Texas leave. And in fact, that's the way that the wording seems to indicate that they're thinking about it. But it's not unofficial, you know, after they leave for sure. We just know that for right now, there are no divisions. I don't know that it would make sense to all of a sudden reinstate divisions when you lose two schools. Um, like you still have all of the issues that we talked about in terms of trying to figure out how you divide teams to actually make divisions that make sense. Like, you know, there's all the problems with divisions that we were still hammering on way back in January and February. So I get the feeling that now that they've made that decision and they've come to it for these, you know, two, two years, it's going to be really hard for them to go back to divisions 
once, you know, they've gotten used to, hey, we've got permanent rivalries that we're going to play every single year, and then we're just going to rotate the rest. And I think that's the way it needs to be. Whether it's just one rivalry that gets protected every year or two <laughs> moving forward, I'm not really sure. But whatever they end up doing, it's going to be better than divisions unless, you know, they decide to reverse course and inexplicably go back to divisions for whatever stupid reason they can think of. Agreed. Uh, everyone will get the chance to play everybody at least once in these two years. That means that all four incoming schools will get a shot at Oklahoma and Texas at least one time. Like I said, protected rivalries. Very important. Uh, according to Dennis Dot, there was a belief that Oklahoma and Texas may have been attempting to exit the Big 12 one year early in 2024. Uh, sources told Dodd that Fox would likely have demanded a return to make its future programming whole, including a top-tier selection of games years into the future, given the marquee programs would have left its airways early. That's beyond what would have been a potentially massive early exit fee the programs would have needed to pay the Big 12 directly. So basically this, along with the exit fee OU and Texas was going to have to pay, that nobody thought they could or were going to, uh, there's a good chance that Fox would have come in and said, if you if they leave early, like you're going to have to pay, the Big 12 will owe Fox money or owe us games that you're going to have to lock in as a, in a new contract down the line. And the Big 12 is like, <laughs> nope, we're certainly not going to pay anything to let OU in Texas go early. So while that, that tells me that there was some negotiating problem going on with Brett Yormark and in the early discussions with Fox and ESPN that they have been having in regards to a new contract, this was brought up and Fox went, you're going to pay us if they do. And big 12 went, yeah, you guys ain't leaving early. If, if you, well, we're not negotiating. See, I, I'm, I read that differently. I read that as part of the agreements for, you know, Texas and Oklahoma to be able to leave was that Texas and Oklahoma were going to have to find a way or SEC or someone was going to have to find a way to basically reimburse Fox for the marquee matchup that they're missing. Uh, you know, obviously the Big 12 can't manufacture more marquee matchups for schools that aren't in their conference anymore. And so it's not a Big oh, 12 saying, was going to have years, to come up with something. Years into the future. So we're talking like past right, the contract right. into a next one. Basically, like, basically what it sounds like it would have to happen is that the that Texas and Oklahoma would have to get approval from the SEC essentially to give one of their marquee games to Fox a year or something like that. Um, or something like where Red River rivalry stays with Fox for X number of years or something like that to make it worth their time essentially to allow them to leave early. Um, I think my biggest takeaway from that was not actually anything about, you know, them leaving early. It's the fact that they talk about even after they leave, they're going to owe $80 million at the end of 2025 or before the 2025 season, which there was always some speculation, right? Like, are they going to have to pay it or because it's the end of the guarantee of rights? I was always of the opinion, the way that the bylaws are written, that when they left, they would have to forfeit that money anyway, regardless of whether there was a guarantee of rights or anything like that, um, or, or a grant of rights or any kind of, you know, contract or anything, because the bylaws say that when you leave, you owe 18 months worth of media fees. So that, kind of confirms to me that it's already going to cost them an arm and a leg to leave to go to the SEC. Anything earlier is going to be even more. You know, they were talking about, I think in that article, up to a hundred million potentially to be able to leave one year early. Um, so like, this is something that, that I think is a bigger deal is going to make it a little bit easier for the big 12. And like you said, I don't think that they leave early because it's just too much to pay either Oklahoma and Texas have to find ways to get, you know, games over to Fox for the big 12 to allow them to go, or they're going to have to pay out the nose to be able to leave early so that the big 12 can try to figure out what to do instead. And I don't see how it was happening. I'm not, this is not finalized yet, but this is likely what's going to happen. Uh, if you're seeing this much news come out about it, this is, this is probably what's going to occur. Um, and it's awesome news. And I cannot wait for two years of, of 14 teams, the insanity that's going to ensue for two seasons. I, it, yeah, I, this is perfect. This is, this is great. I love it. I cannot wait to see it. It's going to be a ton of fun. Uh, I, I have, I'm, I'm really intrigued by how many matchups are going to be kept. The one, okay, the Sports Illustrated article, um, historic rivalries are expected to be preserved on an annual basis with teams having permanent opponents. Those matchups are not yet official, but are likely to include games such as Oklahoma, Texas, Red River, Bedlam, Sunflower Showdown, uh, the rivalry and West Virginia Cincinnati, the latter and a natural regional matchup. So it also sounds like set rivalries are going to be there, but they're going to create some new annual rivalry games based off some things that we had heard 
certain ADs had been pushing for certain set annual opponents, um, which is why they wanted to have divisions. And so they're probably going to get those to be able to not have divisions. So there are a few I would expect to see, like West Virginia, Cincinnati. West Virginia wanted to make sure they played Cincinnati annually. Um, none of this is shocking. So I'll be, I'm, I'm very intrigued by this. We'll, uh, we'll continue to follow the story as it develops, but the best news we could possibly hear as far as the Big 12 is no divisions. This is, this is very good. This is very good news. Uh, you know what? Let's talk about some games. Let's talk about some football. Plenty of football was played this past weekend in the Big 12. Let's, uh, let's kick this off with Thursdays. Absolute. Was it Thursday or Friday? I've lost which day it was. It doesn't matter. Baylor and West Virginia Thursday. on Thursday was utterly ridiculous. Just insanity. So much fun. That second half was wild. The fourth quarter was back and forth. I mean, there's back and forth. Like this play, this this team would make a mistake, and then Baylor would make it, and then West Virginia, and then it, crazy West Virginia coming out on top, forty three to forty over Baylor, uh, getting their first win in conference play, knocking Baylor to three and three and one and two in conference play, and I think eliminating them from the Big Twelve title game contention. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a few minutes, but I mean, this game was absolutely wild. You have to, to wonder for Baylor, if Blake Shapin doesn't get knocked out in this game, do they continue offensively that they had in that the way they had in that second quarter, put 21 points in the second quarter, just 16 points after halftime. Uh, but at the same time, like it, is it the offense's fault? That the defense gave up 26 points in the second half to lose by three. And I look, the offense it's not like Baylor's offense was going three and out, 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 three and out every play. It just it just seemed like after a while, West Virginia made some adjustments at halftime, came back out, and the offense played really, really well. And we had said, like, West Virginia is good offensively. We're, we've got questions on defense. Baylor took advantage of that. I think if Shaven doesn't get knocked out and Baylor's offense is better than it was in the second half, Baylor probably wins this game. I do think that had a major impact. But for West Virginia, this game is huge because if they want to make a bowl game, they needed to start getting some wins. They got this one in conference play, coming off their idle week at home on a Thursday night. Baylor remains winless in Morgantown, never won there. A huge win for West Virginia, disappointing loss for Baylor. Andy, thoughts on either side? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I did my little wrap-up, you know, uh, my my one tweet kind of summary of what happened this weekend in the Big 12. And, like, the two things that jumped out to me is that West Virginia is definitely not done. They are going to have some fun upsetting some teams and, you know, making the Big 12 even more interesting as we go down. But Baylor kept shooting themselves in the foot in this game. You know, they had, let me see, they had three turnovers at some really bad times. Um, you know, the fumble return that got returned for a touchdown uh, in the first half. You know, and then in the second half, they had a fumble, followed by giving up a touchdown to West Virginia, and then they threw an interception pretty quickly on the next drive, which set up the ridiculously back-and-forth ending that we had for that game. So the offense, sure, like, the the defense gave up too many points, for sure, but the offense wasn't really helping. There was a lot of instances where, you know, this offense just completely stalled out, and that was even before Shapin went out. Yes, it didn't help that Shapin went out after getting hit, you know, on a pretty bad targeting, like, Unfortunately, this is one of those things where, and, and that's a completely different discussion we're going to have to have because, um, you know, we have seen way too many quarterbacks get taken out by borderline hits or, you know, completely illegal hits. That something has to be done. Not really sure what that is, but, but Baylor kept shooting themselves in the foot in this game, kept like every time it looked like they were getting on track, all of a sudden something would fall apart. And I think that's happened a lot for Baylor this year where they've had, you know, stuff that seemed to be going really well, and it seems like they finally got everything to click, and they're going to go ahead and take off, and then something bad happens, and the way, and the wheels fall off again, and then they, you know, seem like they've slapped it all back together, and it's going to go, you know, they, they did that against Iowa State, you know, they did that, you know, against Oklahoma State, like, there have been so many times where you think that they finally have done what they need to do to build momentum, and to get to the point where they are going to be successful moving forward, and then there's a huge hiccup that causes a kind of all kinds of problems. So this is a Baylor team that I'm not really sure what to think about them. You know, are they going to be able to hold it together for an entire game? Because I don't think we have yet seen them do that since we got the conference play. So 
looking at the Big 12, and I, I tweeted this out on Friday, ran a poll, and obviously that was before the games on Saturday, so we've learned more since then. But at that at that point, there were, and I said four, there were five teams who needed three more wins to reach bowl eligibility. And as of today, one, uh, two, three, and Texas Tech. So now there are four. Now it's a slight adjustment as to who those four are, but there are four. Iowa State's at three and four. Uh, West Virginia's at three and three. Baylor's at three and three. And Texas Tech is at three and three. Oklahoma got a a fourth win over Kansas. We'll talk about that game coming up. So there are four teams who need three more wins to reach bowl eligibility. I asked which one was most likely to miss a bowl game this season. Now we had West Virginia, Texas Tech, Iowa State, and Oklahoma in the poll because I do think Baylor's going to get to a bowl game. I, uh, they've got some issues to deal with. Uh, they're just uh, defensively, and obviously it depends on how long shaping this out. But I think Baylor will get to a bowl game this season. It'd be shockingly disappointing if they didn't. Um, so Andy, I'm gonna, I'm going to ask you. Iowa State won the poll with 38%. Oklahoma got it with 30, was in second at 34%. I, I think a lot of people were just enjoying voting Oklahoma for the last. And I think, uh, as you pointed out, and so did I, it was a weird situation for Iowa State fans to have to choose between losing a Twitter poll and uh, or, or having hope in the program. But Iowa State won this, and I think a lot of Iowa State fans are feeling kind of down, probably more so after Saturday's loss to Texas, which we'll talk about in a minute, now at 3-4. and four. Of the four teams who need three more wins, Iowa State, Texas Tech, West Virginia, and Baylor, without just going over their schedules, because there's obviously six, at least six games for the most part for everybody to play. Who misses a bowl game this year? I mean, the one that that seems the most likely to me is probably Iowa State, um, just because that offense has been abysmal. And, and they showed some life against Texas, but uh, there was definitely some issues there. Um, and I don't know... If how much of that was Texas not necessarily taking Iowa State seriously, and how much of that was Iowa State actually improving, um, you know it'll be interesting to kind of see what they're able to do. But I also have to wonder, you know, like, you know, was this the game that West Virginia gets back up for, you know, and gets a big win, but it takes an incredibly large amount of emotion, and they don't and they can't necessarily replicate that moving forward. I don't think that their schedule is particularly helpful as well. Um, you know, I think I actually voted in that poll for Iowa State, but I was contemplating Oklahoma and I can understand why people were looking at Oklahoma because I don't think there was ever a question about whether Oklahoma has enough talent to be able to do that, but how horribly they had put everything together, you know, and how, how difficult it was for them to really kind of get any kind of positive momentum for themselves. You wondered how long it was going to take for them to snap out of that funk. Unfortunately for, for us Kansas fans, they, they snapped out of it pretty, pretty quickly, um, you know, in the game on Saturday. But I think it was right at the time to question whether they could go ahead and do it. But now that they've had a game like that against Kansas moving forward. I don't I don't know that I'm that worried about them potentially missing a bowl game. You know, I, I wouldn't. I think it would be difficult for them to get back into Big 12 conference game contention, but I wouldn't completely rule them out either at this point if they play as well moving forward as they did in that particular game. I, I mean. Just because I think the Big 12 is so, you know, going to cannibalize itself so much this year that there is an outside chance that they could get back and find themselves in a, you know, four-way tie with three losses with a bunch of other schools to try to get into that second spot. Lots of football he played. I'm going to disagree with you there. I think we have a four-team race, and we'll talk about that here in a second. Um, as as I look through each team's schedules a little bit, and I realize we'll, we'll get back to recapping games in a minute. I feel weirdly confident Texas Tech's going to make a bowl game. They're sitting at 3-3. Three and three. They played three of the four teams I think are contenders for the Big 12 title game. So next you have home versus West Virginia, then home versus Baylor, road game at TCU, home versus Kansas, at Iowa State, home versus Oklahoma in the season. I, I feel weirdly confident Texas Tech should make six wins to get to a bowl game. And so from that standpoint, Iowa State still has Oklahoma, West Virginia, Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, and TCU. Uh, TCU and Oklahoma State are on the road. I, um, that's going to be tough. Although I do think for Iowa State, they could, they really can. Here's Iowa State's problem right now. I, I know we're supposed to be recapping games. Campbell's issue right now, Matt Campbell's time at Iowa State, I was running the numbers here, is when, when Iowa State has a good season, it's because they're winning close games, one-score games. 
2020, they went four and two in one score games. 2018, they went four and two in one score games. 2019, which was a seven win season, it was a dip back, two and four. 2017 was nice. They went three and four. They had a nice eight win season. They had a good start. Then most of those one score losses came at the back end of the schedule. 2021, the year with all the expectation, two and five in one score games this far. So usually they average about six one score games a year. About half of their games are one score games. Otherwise, they're they're either winning or losing by more than that. They played five already this year, and they're one and four. Every single Big 12 game they have played has ended as a one score game. In fact, Baylor, the seven point loss is the is the biggest one. They lost to Kansas by three, lost to Kansas State by one, and lost to Texas by three. And so you look at Iowa State, who, from everything I can see from EPA, they're they're tenth defensively from total defense, which is a terrible stat, but we're gonna use it anyway. They're twelfth. Uh, I'm looking at sports reference like team defense rankings. They're ninth. Iowa State has one of the ten best defenses in the country. They do. They're really good. They are. They are fantastic. At this point, I'm not gonna dog Texas for barely for you know escaping with a, a win, or Kansas not looking as good because like. This is a really, really good defense. Their non-conference opponents, the three of them, scored a combined 27 points. This is a really, really good defense. It's gonna, it's gonna get somebody else. Can the offense take enough steps forward to back it up? This is like OSU last year, except the offense is bad. It's just, it just can't get it done. And so I. You look at these one-score games, like I feel like Iowa State's going to be in most of the games the rest of the season, like they have been so far. I think they will continue to be in every game. Can they find three games where the offense does enough for them to win close games? Because look, they got they got OU next. Uh, they're going to get a week off. Then they're going to get OU at home. Then West Virginia at home. At Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, and then at TCU. Like, it's not an easy schedule the rest of the way for the last five. And they have to go three and two in those five to get to six wins. I. I'm not saying they can't do it, but thus far, unless they make some major changes in this in this week off, especially on offense, like I'm going to have a hard time picking them to get to a bowl game this year. Yeah, like they're either going to have to get a gigantic upset against, you know, Oklahoma State or TCU on the road, which, you know, I, I, I feel like that Oklahoma State-Iowa State game is a lot like your typical rivalry games where weird stuff happens and everything goes out the window, you know, in terms, but like, it's it's it seems nearly impossible to pick, you know, them to go on the road to beat either of those teams. So that means that they have to beat Oklahoma at home, which probably is going to be a difficult task, especially given where Oklahoma is at this point. Um, they have to beat West Virginia at home, which is completely doable. Um, and then Texas Tech at home and not really sure where Texas Tech is going to be at that point. Right. Like Baron Morton coming in and playing the way he did. I could see them having a pretty good trajectory moving forward. It just really depends on how good that defense plays. So it'll be very interesting, I think, to see. But, like, you're right. Iowa State has the longest odds of everybody now, especially after they lost that game to Texas in, in the way that they did. Um, and that's why, like, that's who I was voting for, definitely, as number one, just because that schedule is brutal. Like, all, you know, if they were going to push for bowl eligibility, you know, the, the quote-unquote winnable games that they had were probably, you know, the first two or three of their of their conference schedule. Which means now they have to win games that probably aren't very winnable. Like the game against Baylor, you know, that was one where they, they, they were playing in such a way that they honestly probably should have won that game. And especially when you talk about some of the officiating stuff that happened, um, you know, especially early in that game that really changed the complexion of it. They were, they were playing pretty well in that one. They probably should have won against Kansas. Um, you know, they, they honestly, they probably should have won against Kansas State the way that they were playing too. So like it's one of those things where they had so many close misses that. They've almost kind of, like you said, used up all their luck and squandered all of that luck that, that you would hope that they would have throughout the season to be able to get to those six wins. And you're right. Like, I have a hard time seeing what that path looks like that, that actually gets them there. I would argue that the easiest part of their schedule, based off of how the Big 12 is working out at this point, are these last well, five fair. games. Because you get OU, West Virginia, Texas Tech at home, and those are three teams who are likely to finish in the back half of the conference. So... There's three home games that they have potentials to win. It's just at this point, you have no confidence they, that they're going to they, win all three. Their of them. defense is so good. I'm not going to pick them to do it, but it, it wouldn't surprise me. As good as the defense is, to see the offense do enough against Oklahoma, 
West Virginia, Texas Tech to get to get them there. Like they could pull it out. Um, and I think they're good enough against an OSU or TCU, the way this defense plays. Like, can the offense have a game where it puts everything together and doesn't make mistakes or, or the special teams doesn't rise up and, and, and mess them up and they, they get a, a good performance that gives us a sign of what's to come from this Iowa State team. The defense is that good. Can the offense show up and the special or the special teams show up and, and help them get a win? I don't know. We're going to have to, it's, it's something to keep an eye on, but again, Matt Campbell's one score games, his record, it, and look, I think that's most of the big 12. We talk about this all the time. The teams that make the big 12 title game are typically the teams who. Yeah. Win, the most win, one score win games. those really close games. Yep. And I, I'm going to, I'm going to do all the math for next week. Cause I think at that point we'll have had enough big 12 games for everybody to say, okay, let's make our predictions based off of this. But I think it'll come from four teams. But uh, speaking of that, Iowa state, Texas game. I know we're talking a lot of Iowa State. We haven't talked about them nearly enough. Um, the targeting or the non-targeting call at the end that led to Hunter Decker's fumble. Um, the issue I had with it was this. Man, it looked like targeting. It, it looked like what I would expect targeting to be called. Um, and there are those who are going to argue that it wasn't. And the problem is not whether it was or wasn't targeting. The problem is... The inconsistency, and this is across everything, sure, but the inconsistency with which targeting is called and used when it is supposed to be a rule designed for player safety. It is designed for player safety. It's not holding. It's not, you know, chop block. It's not, it's not pass interference. It is a rule specifically designed for the safety of players. The inability to call it consistently and us all be able to go, that's targeting, and it be targeting is a problem. Because if you're telling me it's for player safety, it should be one of the most consistent rules, period. And I am perfectly fine if it is consistently called in a way that makes you go, that might be a little bit much. Nope, it's for player safety. That's the priority. We're going to lean toward player safety every time. And so if it really looks like it's an issue, we're going to call targeting. If you told me that that's what the point was, I'd be like, all right, at least it's consistent. The issue is the inconsistency. If it's supposed to be for player safety, then it damn well better be consistent because that's called targeting by a different crew. And this isn't some shot at like, well, it's Texas and they're bailing out Texas. It's one referent crew is going to call that targeting, and that one didn't. And that's my problem. If you tell me it's for player safety, make it consistent. Well, and it, it seems like Iowa State has been the unfortunate you know, victim of, in, of those inconsistent calls. Because the, you know, the targeting call that Bo Frailer got kicked out of the Baylor game for was nowhere near as bad as that hit from a Texas player on Deckers. And so, like, and, and, and honestly, like looking at the definition of targeting, the way that it's designed, Frailer's hit was definitely not targeting at all. Like he didn't even actually make contact with the head, like all of this stuff that they're, you know, they're looking at. He didn't like spear with his helmet, but like that one wasn't even borderline. Whereas this one was at least borderline. Like it at least deserved to get some sort of review. It at least deserved to have somebody look at it to see. And the fact that they didn't even look at it at all for the targeting, all they did was look at it for the fumble. So, you know, it's one of those things where it, it is completely inconsistent and it's definitely not like a home crowd is getting the benefit of all the calls because, you know, Iowa State got got jobbed at home, you know, on on targeting as well. So like it but it is one of those things where like there are plenty of rules in different sports, whether it's football or basketball or whatever, where I'm like, you know, that is a foul or that is that is something that, uh, you know, I don't necessarily agree with. But it is the rule. It is one that they apply consistently. So I'm okay because I know what it is. I may not like the fact that that's what it is, but it is clearly defined that way. So if they do it, it's like, I hate that, but you know, it is what it is. Like you have to deal with it. That's why like the, the block charge call in basketball gets so much ire from fans. And that's why this targeting gets so much ire. And a lot of times passion interference because they are judgment calls that are extremely subjective. And it's very, very hard to have consistency just by the nature of the way that they're actually doing it, they need to find a way to make it more objective. Because if it's going to be a subjective call all the time, then you're going to have people who are talking before games even happen about, well, this crew never calls targeting. This crew always calls pass interference. Like that already happened somewhat, but it's going to happen more and more as we get to more and more instances where 
you know, refs are making completely inconsistent calls that are completely backwards from what you would expect the way that the rules are written. One thing that is always consistent is the quality you will get from home field apparel, the most comfortable vintage college sports apparel you will find anywhere. Vintage logos made by people who love college athletics on incredibly comfortable t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies, and in some place, joggers. They have every Big 12 school available. You know this if you've listened to this show already. Every Big 12 school, current and future. That's BYU, Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF. They have incredible lines for every Big 12 school. Every one of them. And they're popping up new stuff all the time. And specials all the time. So if you're not subscribed to their emails or their texts, you probably should be. We're just listening to this show every week, and we will let you know if there's a Big 12 special you need to be made aware of. So do yourself a favor. Go to homefieldapparel.com. Fill up your cart. If it's your first time shopping, that promo code NETWORK12. N-E-T-W-O-R-K-1-2 gets you 15% off your first order. You're not going to buy one thing. You're going to buy a few. You can buy a bunch from your school. Maybe a few from a few others. I would suggest shopping around. Like, really do your homework, folks. Tulane is incredible. And they're good. Look, I don't want to buy stuff from, like, Tennessee, but they've got some good stuff in there. Uh, Who is the one? There's a... Oh, there was a golf shirt that they put out recently that was just, like, son of a... Why doesn't OSU have an amazing golf shirt like that from home field? They don't, but it's okay. It's because Swingin' Pete's the thing. Anyways, folks, go to homefieldapparel.com. Go check it out. Use the promo code NETWORK12. 15% off your first purchase. Be rocking the most consistent, quality, comfortable, vintage college sports apparel this college football basketball season. Brand new for the 2022 season, it's the RVK. We're coming at you two ways on two days. It's Monday and Thursday. Jeremy, JN, Fiend Phoenix, and me, Brandon Phoenix, a.k.a. I also hate Pitt. We are the Raspy Voice Kids. We are the Raspy Voice Kids podcast. You get pop culture Monday at 7 a.m. You get the West Virginia University podcast Thursdays at 7 a.m. Either way, no matter what we say, you're going to have fun. So, like we like to tell you, get at your boys. All right. uh, The game of the weekend of the Big 12, I think, goes to the game that was played down there in Fort Worth between Oklahoma State and TCU. What a heck of a game. A double overtime classic. TCU comes back from down 14 points at the start of the fourth quarter to force overtime and gets the win into overtimes. Uh, for TCU, I, that was that was a fantastic performance. TCU's coaching staff outcoached Mike Gundy and Casey Dunn in the second half of that game. They absolutely did. Uh, sorry, but it, it, that's the case. I, I don't. And, I, and I, here's the deal for Oklahoma State fans: it's too conservative. It's too conservative. It's too conservative. I don't think conservative was the coaching issue for Oklahoma State. I think they didn't want to be conservative. I think they went out there and ran their game. TCU shut off the quarterback run after Sanders burned them for it a few times. And so OSU tried to continue to rely on Sanders, who started 7 of 9 through the year, but was 9 of 26 the rest of the game. Because of his start, He didn't. the rumor was he didn't practice all week. He was in a sling. He was banged up, but he was ready to go. I don't think he's 100%. I think he started strong. And OSU kept running the offense they thought he could run. And he could not, because while he started strong, I think that shoulder is bugging him. And I don't think Oklahoma State's coaching staff made enough adjustments in that second half. I'll say this. They have a good game plan at the start of a game, and they have a good game plan coming out of halftime. Oklahoma State absolutely does. I think they have issues in half making changes to what the opposition has done. I think what happened with Oklahoma State is TCU made changes in that second half, and OSU couldn't adjust to it. And I think Spencer Sanders was too beat up in that second half to play the way he had to start the game. And they did not adjust and make him, give him easy passes. They didn't. They didn't give him easy stuff. They gave him stuff that was way too difficult. That pass that could have been a touchdown if it was a yard further ahead of the wide receiver that got intercepted in the second half, he underthrew it. Now, he underthrows passes like that, but I don't think it's just because Sanders was missed. I don't think he's 100%, and I don't think OSU did him any favors in the second half of that game, and they lost. I've been try- I'm not going to sit here and do the research, but I really wish somebody would tell me how many times Oklahoma State under Mike Gundy has lost a game when they led by 14 in the fourth quarter, because I'm going to bet it's not very many times, but that's what happens. And so 
credit to TCU and their coaching staff and their execution in that second half of that game. They absolutely got that win. It was an incredible performance. And TCU now sitting atop the leaderboard in the Big 12 with Kansas State setting up a massive, massive showdown this coming Saturday we'll talk about in a minute, I'm sure. Uh, And one final note for TCU, they just beat ranked opponents in three consecutive games for the first time in program history. Look, we thought Sonny Dykes might have a nice year this year. I didn't think it'd be anything like this. TCU fans, smart ones, didn't think it'd be like this. And if any TCU fans like, I knew this is what they were going to do. You're full of it. You know it. Or you were just so purple inside and out. Like, but sweet Jesus, good grief, TCU. They're playing good football. Yeah, I mean, it's exactly just like the Kansas fans that were all like, yeah, we knew they were going to be fantastic. It's like, look, I was one of the most optimistic Kansas fans, and I did not see them starting 5-0. and Similarly, TCU fans can be super optimistic, but I don't think anybody expected them to be undefeated at this point in the year and have two of those, you know, really close wins in back-to-back weeks. Um, I think what you saw, and, and kind of you kind of alluded to this point, and I think this is why, like, that TCU-Kansas game was so good is because Sonny Cumbie and his staff are one of the best in the entire conference, and I would probably say in the entire nation, in terms of adjusting in half to what's happening on the field. I think Kansas, with Lance Leipold, and Andy Kotelnecki does it fairly well, Brian Borland, but I, I honestly think that TCU does it just as well, if not better. Um, they are fantastic at adjusting in the middle of that half and changing the way that they play things and doing what they need to do to really, you know, disrupt what's happening. I think on defense, they're doing it a whole lot better than I've seen in a really long time. And and like you said, that game changed tenor, that game changed tone throughout the entire thing. Towards the end, you could tell that Oklahoma State was starting to press. And they I don't think they got conservative, like you said, because they had to, I think, or I'm sorry, because they wanted to. I think they did it because they had to, because they had to start pressing. They had to start trying to find ways to not make mistakes and not give TCU extra chances. And unfortunately, TCU was able to adjust enough to just take advantage of it. It was definitely one of the best games, if not the best game of the Big 12 so far this year. It was a fantastic one to watch. I had to go back and watch most of it after the fact because, unfortunately, I was driving while most of that was actually happening. But it was a great game to get caught up on. It was one, if you don't have a dog in that fight, if you're not rooting specifically for one of those teams, it was an absolute masterpiece to watch. It was so much fun. Um, Unfortunately, obviously, for those that have a rooting interest and are Oklahoma State fans, you can feel probably fairly similar to how you felt, you know, how how Kansas felt against TCU. It's like a, man, you got beat by a really, really good team. And while there are definitely things you can point to that you wish your team would have done differently that would have allowed them to win the game, you have to acknowledge how good this TCU team is. It is hard for me to imagine right now that this TCU team is not going to be in the Big 12 title game at the end of the year. They're firing on all cylinders, and it's not just that. It's how the schedule stacks out moving forward. Um, I know we need to talk Oklahoma to Kansas, but I did. Uh, uh, look, uh, Oklahoma beat Kansas. There was a lot of points scored. Kansas is not as good without Jalen Daniels. Uh, well, the other thing that I will say, it, it wasn't just about Jalen Daniels. Like that was definitely a big, a big piece of it. Bean is not as polished. He is not nearly as accurate of a passer as Jalen Daniels is, and we saw that. But I think really the big difference in that game was that Kansas was not able to use their defensive depth because Oklahoma went hurry up the entire game. And so when, when you don't substitute in, the one advantage that Kansas has, and, and, and Leipold's actually talked about this, right? Like, they understood that they could not just run their ones out the entire game and match up with pretty much anybody in the Big 12. And so I would be shocked now if anybody, like, if, if, if there's anybody left in the Big 12 that has the ability to run the hurry up against Kansas to, you know, run a fast-paced offense, and not allow, and not do a bunch of substituting, they better be using that against the Jayhawks because that is the one way to make it difficult for their defense. You know, because they if if they can't sub guys in, if they can't keep legs fresh, they wear down pretty quickly. Injuries are are starting to be a big issue for them as well with with Jacoby Bryant going down with that injury. We still haven't heard what it is. It definitely looked like some sort of serious ankle issue, um, but there's not been any kind of update on the health whether it's like an actually a, a broken ankle, which is what a lot of people are afraid of. Um, or if it's just a severe, you know, sprain or strain or something like that. But Kansas is dealing now with injury issues on both sides of the ball, you know, um, and I don't think the schedule really gets that much easier. So it's just going to be a matter for them of figuring out who they can actually play well against. On the other side for Oklahoma, 
this is what we thought Oklahoma was going to be able to do, right? O- Oklahoma still has a massive talent advantage on basically everybody in the conference. The issue has always been that they're just not utilizing them correctly. And even when they lost so much talent with Lincoln Riley going out, you know, to, to, to USC, they still have a ton of guys. Like their, their twos would probably start at most places. And so it's one of those things where as long as they are, you know, being coached effectively, as long as they're working effectively and doing the things that they actually are good at, they are still going to be super competitive in pretty much every game. Unfortunately, they, I think they squandered enough opportunities that they're not going to be able to get back into the Big 12 title race. I think it, like, there's an outside shot of it, but pretty much everything would have to go perfect for them, for, for them to be able to get there and they'd have to win a bunch of tiebreakers. So they don't really have that to play for anymore. But I definitely think that the panic button and you know, the you know the alarms were starting to be hit, and we'll, it'll be interesting to see how well they can play going down the stretch. Because you know if they collapse again this season, like I wouldn't think that they would fire Manables after year one. But man, Oklahoma is not used to like they they better go to a bowl game this year, and I really think that they will just because of who they have left. But you know, Oklahoma is not used to not being good and having these sorts of lulls throughout the year. Uh, Oklahoma needs two more wins. They have road games at Iowa State, West Virginia, Texas Tech, and home games against Baylor and Oklahoma State left on the schedule. They are off this week before they head to Ames the following week. Okay. Normally, uh, oh, uh, uh, let's just say two quick thoughts. One, um, BYU, tough game against Arkansas. Uh, they they tried to stay in the game as, as much as they could. Arkansas, uh, when healthy, is a really good team. And a tough loss for BYU. UCF, I know that Temple's not good, but it does after two weeks, or at least a, a full game, and then the second half of last week. UCF may have finally started to figure out their offense just in time, because uh, there is an interesting uh, AAC championship game race between Tulane, Cincinnati, and, and UCF that is slowly budding. Uh, and the best thing for the Big 12 would be if Cincinnati and UCF were to make that game. I still think Cincinnati is the best team in that conference right now. UCF, whose defense has been solid all year, feels like the offense is starting to get things figured out finally, which is really good for them. I'm going to try and get our buddies from Scott and Holman and Sons of UCF on the show here in the next couple of weeks just to kind of break down to look at those teams and how, how they're performing and find a Cincinnati guest as well. Um, okay, I've kind of touched on this and teased it a little bit. Uh, I think the Big 12 title game race is down to four teams. Um, and it's not just because they're the teams who either have only one or zero losses in conference play. I know this is going to be a wacky and wild conference season, but uh, no offense to the teams who have only two losses, which is a lot. It's Kansas, West Virginia, Baylor, and Texas Tech. Uh, OU is one and three. I think they're done. They're done. Iowa State's 0 and four. They're done. Uh, but to, to Baylor, it depends on how long Shapen's out. The defense is obviously have, has some issues. Um, I don't think that's Baylor's last loss. I don't think Texas Tech's going to win out. West Virginia is not going to win out. That defense is still it still has problems. And no offense to Kansas, like I don't think they're winning out either. So yeah, I, I, I think I think this Kansas Baylor game, the winner still has an outside outside shot to get themselves back into it. But either way, I think both of them are pretty much like I, I think too much would have to go right for them to realistically be in it. But you got to win that game this week in order to at least keep your hopes of an outside chance to make it alive. All right. Same thing could be said. We've got the John Denver Bowl between West Virginia and Texas Tech in Lubbock. Um, I think this is a big one for both teams at reaching bowl eligibility. And I think that's more the focus for those teams at this point. That should be an interesting game. We've got two huge ones on Saturday. 230 ABC, Texas going to Oklahoma State for homecoming. Uh, Texas Open is a one-point favorite. It's up to four and a half now, which is, woohoo, that's a big spike. I think I think this is an elimination game for Oklahoma State in the Big 12 title game race, and here's why. It's not just that they have a loss. It's just one loss. And a second loss this year probably wouldn't kill you. But you would have two losses to two of the other teams who are contending for the Big 12 title game, which would mean that that's two teams who you're fighting against to get to Arlington who would own the tiebreakers over you. And that's the concern. Because after Texas, they go on the road to Kansas State, and then they go on the road to Kansas. If you tell me OSU wins the next three and then loses to, I don't know, Iowa State at home, like, okay, they can probably survive that. 
kind of like what we saw with Baylor last year. They got to the title game because they'd beaten Oklahoma. They lost to OSU. That was okay. And then they, their other loss was to TCU. It didn't it didn't hurt them in the t- when the tiebreaker came in with Oklahoma. If we have four teams who are legitimately sitting in a tiebreaker spot or three teams in a tiebreaker spot for whoever's going to be the second team in there, it's going to be Kansas State, TCU, Texas, and Oklahoma State. If you are a team that loses to two of those other three, I think you're out. And so for OSU you don't have any wiggle room left the next two weeks. You almost have to beat both Texas and Kansas State to stay in contention here. And so it's not a knockout day for Texas because their one loss is Texas Tech. And they still have, obviously, OSU. Then they have a week off. And then they go Kansas State or TCU, Kansas State, or or vice versa, back-to-back. Week off after Oklahoma State, road game at Kansas State, home game for TCU. We're going to have a lot of fun Big 12 football the next few weeks because you've got this one. You've got OSU, Kansas State the next week. We've also, this week, we've got Kansas State at TCU in the game that will hand one of those teams their first loss in conference play. So if OSU loses, I think they're out of the Dictel title game race, and I think they're just looking for a nice season. Uh, and at this point, depending upon the health of Spencer Sanders, the OSU season started great. You get Texas and then Kansas State and the road game at Kansas, who will be coming off of an auto week and is expected to have Jalen Daniels back. This is a really, 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 really tough four-game stretch, and it's starting 0-1-1. That's not a great place for OSU. For Texas, I think this team is still good. I'm not going to hold against them that they struggled against an Iowa State defense, who is really stinking good, just are. But that's their first one-score win this season, and it came down to a questionable non-call at the end of the game. They kind of escaped in that one. Obviously, they lost to Alabama, and they lost to Texas Tech in overtime. I... I think Texas is in a real shot here, but I think the team I feel most confident in is going to be the team that wins between Kansas State and TCU. And and I I know that sounds like a cop-out, but someone's going to be undefeated in conference play at the end of next week. That, seat, that team sits in the driver's seat. And if it's TCU, you will have knocked off Kansas State and Oklahoma State on the tiebreakers over both of them. And your schedule is the most friendly, TCU, because you yes, you have OSU and Kansas State back-to-back. You get them both at home. Then you go to West Virginia, you get Texas Tech at home. You go to Texas, but you get West Virginia and Texas Tech in between Kansas State and Texas. Then you go to Baylor and Iowa State. Now, the problem for TCU, of course, is that their idle week came all the way back in week three. But if TCU knocks off Kansas State this weekend, I think they're in Arlington because that would require them to probably lose three games the rest of the way. Oh, yeah. To not be one of the two teams. And so if... Like that's how big to me this game for TCU is this week, and it's why it's going to be our game of the week. Because if TCU wins this game, I'm I'm locking them in for Arlington because I think it would require three losses for them not to make it, and I don't see three losses just staring me in the face on this schedule the rest of the way. Yeah, I mean this is this is one of those sure TCU still has to play, you know, in in some fairly I guess difficult environments. Like they have some some other challenges coming up, but none of it's going to be more difficult than what they've already done. Right, like going to a you know rejuvenated you know Memorial Stadium for Kansas on College Game Day, like that is a huge situation. Yes, you can talk what whatever you want, you know about about Kansas, about whether they actually are able to continue to be a good team. But that that situation, I think, was a very difficult one. And then you know this last week against Oklahoma State, like if they win this game against Kansas State, even though it's at home, that is you know three completely different styles. And I think three completely different situations that have all been super difficult in their own right. There's not going to be a more difficult game on their schedule the rest of the way. So while they'll probably drop at least one, just because I don't see anyone going undefeated in this conference this year, like it's hard for me to say that more than two is on the table for them in terms of losses because they've just been that good. So you're right. Like I think whoever wins this game is, is the one that you'd say, yeah, they are, they are probably a shoe in to get to Arlington. Um, I don't know that Texas, like, if Texas loses this game, though, against Oklahoma State, that that could be a problem for them. Because if you look at it, you know, they still have to go on the road to Kansas State, on the road to Kansas, two teams that they have routinely struggled with and who are actually a lot better this year than they typically are when Texas struggles with them, and they're both on the road. Like, I, I think if you lose this game against Oklahoma State, I don't know that you go take two trips to, to Kansas and come out of that having won both of those, um, you know, and then you still have to face a, TC, a fantastic TCU team at home. Like this is a really tough stretch for Texas. 
And I almost think that if they really want to be in Arlington, they have to win this game against Oklahoma State. I think it's super important for them to win this one. I think whoever loses that game is probably getting eliminated on tiebreakers just based off of the rest of the schedules that they have. I think it's easy to say. Of these four teams, whoever beats two of the other three at least is going to get to Arlington. Uh, For Kansas State, obviously they were off this week, which is huge for them because the gauntlet is about to begin. Their next three weeks are at TCU this week, followed by home games against Oklahoma State and Texas, followed by road games and uh, against Baylor and West Virginia, which it's back-to-back road games after a very, very tough three-game stretch. That's an obvious trip-up spot down there as well. So for Kansas State, this the next three weeks are make or break. The, 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 you started this week with OSU-TCU, which I don't think enough people watched because they were busy watching Alabama at Tennessee for good reason. I'm not just not a shot at that game. It was I had two TVs running, one outside, one inside. Oh yeah, I, I promise sure. I had that game on one of them. Uh, but you got that last week. This week you get Texas OSU and Kansas State TCU. The following week you're going to get OSU Kansas State. I, I, I just oh, man, man, oh man, oh man, man, man. It's just you're going to get five straight weeks of there's going to be some massive game that's going to decide things. Uh, we. It's kind of it's weird. It almost feels like the last few weeks might just be, hey, teams that are sitting there in the in the spot to get to Arlington just don't just don't choke it away. As opposed to last year, it kind of came down to the last two weeks. We may have this Arlington duo set by the start of November, because again, Kansas State plays Texas, the end of their three game gauntlet on November fifth. Uh, TCU, oh, I gotta pull everything up. Texas. Uh, hosts TCU on November 12th. Like we might have two weeks to go in the season and be like, these are the two teams as long as one of them doesn't lose another game. If you ask me right now, and I'll end the show on this, and then if you have any final thoughts, but I'll end the show on this. If you ask me right now today who I think is going to go to Arlington, man, this is not a shot at Kansas State at all. I think this is a really good Kansas State team. I think it's TCU Texas in the Big 12 title game in Arlington right now. That that's That's kind of the feeling that I have. Um, again, we got a lot of football to be played the next few weeks. It's going to be awesome. The Big 12 is absolute must watch the next few weeks. There's at least one game every single week from here till November 12th. That's going to be crazy. Absolutely crazy. Because again, Texas is next three at OSU at Kansas State, TCU. Kansas State's next three at TCU, Oklahoma State, Texas. Oklahoma State's next three. Kansas State, Texas at Kansas State at Kansas. TCU's. Kansas State, West Virginia, Texas, Texas. Like, it's just it's just ridiculous that it's worked out this way. You just literally have, like, five straight weeks of can't miss, can't miss, can't miss, can't miss. It's awesome. I hate that half of it's going to end up being on, like, FS1, but I think a lot of it's going to be at ABC at 2.30, which is good. So I hate that it's going up against whatever CBS SEC game is going to be on that lots of people are going to be watching. But, man, this weekend's big. I think this weekend is is unquestionably huge for the four teams who are in contention, because I, I, man, I wonder if one of them isn't eliminated the, by the time we sit down next Sunday to talk, if we don't sit here and go, I think this team is out of it. It's not that they are athletically, but I think they will be. Yeah. Like I think if the, if that Kansas state TCU game is a close game, then as much as it pains me to say it, I think that the, the big toe title game is going to be all purple. Um, I just think that the way that Kansas state is playing right now, defensively is going to be fantastic for them. It's going to be really helpful to shut down a team like Texas, um, you know, and, and TCU is just, you know, coming back on everybody, like doing everything that they need to against everybody at this point. Once TCU loses and once you see how they lose, I think we'll get a good idea to see if anyone else in the conference can actually beat them. Um, but like, you know, what it is that's like, cause they have hit so many different styles and been able to overcome so many that it's going to be interesting to see what what actually trips them up finally. And if it's something that other people in the conference do, then I could see potentially that, you know, you might be able to keep them out. But it's really hard to say that TCU is not a shoe-in at this point to make it in because of the way they played. And I think Kansas State is probably the, the team that's playing the second best, which I still don't necessarily think that Adrian Martinez is, like, lighting up the scoreboard or doing a lot of the stuff that, you know, a lot of K-State fans thought. But they are doing things that work for them in such a great way that it is difficult to argue with the results. And so as long as that game's close, it's going to be hard for me to to be picking anything other than both of those teams going back. But kind of to your point, like all four of these teams are playing each other over the next three weeks. And then, of course, 
all of these teams in the final stretch are doing. Like, this is very reminiscent for us Kansas fans of, you know, Big 12 women's basketball last year, where you had like the top four, you know, teams that were all fighting for those spots as at, up at the top of the conference. And Kansas was there making it difficult for every single one of them and potentially having a say in who actually wins the conference without necessarily being able to get all the way back up there themselves. I think this Kansas football team is a good enough team that they're going to be able to do a similar sort of thing. So, like, I'm still, you know, Kansas playing Texas and Oklahoma State and Kansas State in, you know, three of those last four weeks of the season. I think that could have a huge impact on the race and who actually goes to Arlington, even if I don't think that Kansas is going to be able to do enough to get there themselves. So it'll be very, very interesting, I think, to see how all four of those teams play against each other, but then also who can avoid tripping up against a good team like Kansas, um, especially those that have to play them on the road. TCU having arguably a slightly less talented team than they did last year with some of the guys that graduated and transferred. And making the Big 12 title game at like 10-2 and two or 11-1 and one is an absolute indictment on Gary Patterson. <laughs> Just a... Oh, yeah, for sure. Oof, man. Oof. All right. Uh, this is, of course, the 1012 Podcast. He is Andy Mitz at Andy Mitz 12 on Twitter. Check out the Rock Chalk Podcast for all of your Kansas sports and athletics needs. You can find every show on the 1012 Network at 1012network.com. It's T-E-N-1-2-network.com. You can follow us on Twitter at 1012network, T-E-N, the number 12 the word network. You can follow us on Instagram at 1012pod. I've been a little silent last week. I'll probably be a little silent from moving forward for a little bit. Uh, we'll get it going. It's just, I'm so inconsistent there. It's so much time to make graphics. I like doing it, but it's not my What you're priority. saying is it's inconsistent like the Big 12 refing, right? Yeah. bring it full circle. It's, it's as consistent as targeting calls in the Big 12. Uh, I am your host, Philip Slavin. We'll be back on Thursday to make picks uh, with Daniel and Chris. Folks, hit us up in the DMs. Hit the replies. Share our podcast because we are positive about the Big 12 and you should want to promote things that are positive about the Big 12. We'll be back on Thursday. We will talk to you then. Podcast Network.